to Civil War Talk Radio with host Jerry Prokopovich. Our program covers all aspects of Civil War history, from the battlefields to the home fronts, and features guest experts, plus insight from your host as they discuss the most critical period in American history. Now, here is your host, Jerry Prokopovich. This is Jerry Prokopovich with Civil War Talk Radio. Each week as I prepare for this show, I have the pleasure of learning something new about the Civil War era, but usually it's a new angle on a story that we already know something about, like a fresh interpretation of a familiar military campaign. The thrill of discovering something completely new doesn't come along too often, but it did this week as I was introduced to a historical actor I'd never heard of, but now I'm unlikely to forget. You'll meet him too when we talk with Joe Goodbody author of Kentucky Barracuda, Parker H. French, the notorious scoundrel and delightful rogue of antebellum and Civil War America. That's tonight on Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Are you ready for a disaster? If you are like many people in the world, that answer may sadly be no. Disasters happen unexpectedly to people just like you every day. Tune into Preparing for the Unexpected with business continuity and disaster planning expert Alex Fullick. The show will not only help you better prepare for a disaster itself, but also to prepare you, your place of employment, and community for the aftermath emotionally, financially, and with a better level of awareness and a stronger feeling of resiliency. Tune in Thursdays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all of our show archives on demand. All from your iOS, Amazon Kindle, or Android device. Download it from the Apple App Store, Amazon, or Google Play, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich coming to you tonight from the third floor of the Brewster Building, our traditional haunt on the campus of East Carolina University in Greenville, North Carolina, but not speaking for the university or Greenville or anyone else, just myself. Likewise, our guest will speak only for himself tonight, as we always do here on Civil War Talk Radio. It is dark outside. It's that time of year when the show begins and the sun has already gone down. Uh, It will get a lot darker when we get to daylight savings time in a few weeks, but right now it's early October actually October 9th of 2019. We're in the 15th anniversary month of the beginning of Civil War Talk Radio. 
15 years ago, started uh, the program when it was conceived of by uh, people at uh, World Talk Radio, as it was called at the time, and uh, eventually transformed into the podcasting powerhouse that it is today. Uh, We'll talk more about that at a future time, or maybe I'll put something on paper and, and talk about the history of Civil War Talk Radio. But now we're looking forward to the future of Civil War Talk Radio and all the things that are coming up in the weeks ahead. Next week, Hampton Newsom will be with us returning to the show. He's written a new book, The Fight for the Old North State, The Civil War in North Carolina, January to May, 1864. We'll follow that with S.C. Gwynn on the 23rd. His new book, Hymns of the Republic, the story of the final year of the American Civil War. And then we're switching up the schedule. If you've been following along at war or the Impediments of War Facebook page, we just had some schedule changes come in uh, in the last 24 hours. Uh, on October 30th, we'll be talking about Civil War Pittsburgh with Richard Condon. Uh, instead of our scheduled guest, Kevin Levin, he's been moved back to December. He had a conflict, and so we're happy to accommodate that, and we'll talk to him in December. On November 6th, John Grady will tell us about Matthew Fontaine Maury, the father of oceanography, uh, and also Confederate naval personality. On November 13th, uh, Philip Girard, will be with us to discuss, once again, North Carolina, the last battleground, colon, the Civil War comes to North Carolina. And then uh, uh, we have a provisional guest lined up right now for November 20, but I'll wait till that's set in stone to tell you about it. And uh, that'll bring us up to Thanksgiving. So uh, Kevin Levin will be with us on December 11th, the last show of the fall season before we take our winter break here. So mostly things are uh, in order as always, but uh, changes do come and go to the schedule, and we try to uh, keep you up to date on them as, as best we can do here. Uh, I didn't have much to say at the beginning of uh, the show about uh, sports here uh, or events on campus. The furor with the chancellor being caught uh, going to a bar and talking with students there, even drinking a drink there, uh, has died down a little bit. Uh, it, It seems pretty clear he was probably not doing the smartest thing to meet students at a bar instead of going to the library if you wanted to hang out with students on a weeknight. But the the photographs that emerged from this uh, pretty clearly were intended to show him in the worst possible light and uh, uh, don't really tell the whole story. Uh, I did go to the uh, football game last week uh, against uh, Temple University, which uh, whooped up on the Pirates pretty thoroughly. Uh, the game was entertaining for the first half, at least. It was close. And the stadium occasionally rocked with uh, loud chants of Stand with Dan, uh, Dan Gerlach, the interim chancellor. So the Pirate Nation is behind the chancellor. Whether the Board of Governors is, that's another story. Uh, you can uh, follow these kinds of stories anywhere on the Internet, but you can only get in-depth Civil War conversation like we 
try to do here on this show. So I'm going to uh, move on from chatting about the events here in Greenville to the events of the 19th century and the uh, events in particular of a character with whom I was not familiar until I read this week's book. Uh, the character's name is Parker Hardin French, 1826 through 1878. And the reason I know about him, and you will shortly, is through the efforts of Joe Goodbody, author of a book called Kentucky Barracuda. We'll find out. Mr. Goodbody, welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. Well, thank you. We really appreciate it. So the, uh, uh, the, the I'm trying to remember how this came across my desk. If you contacted me or a publisher, or, or it, it doesn't really matter. What is interesting is uh, Civil War Talk Radio does get books sent in from publishers of all sizes, from independent authors and uh, or listeners who have suggestions about books. And most of them are, are quite good, and often they turn into episodes. And occasionally, um, you know, if, if somebody is self-publishing a, a historical fiction novel, they don't have any particular background in the Civil War. They've just read a lot of books, and now they're going to write their own book. But it's fiction. Um, I, I'm, you know, we're not going to talk about that here. We don't have time. Uh, too many interesting real life stories going on. So. Uh, not every book that crosses the, the doorway uh, makes it in. And this one, at first, I thought, oh, here's an obscure guy I've never heard of. He's related to the author, so maybe it's just going to be uh, genealogy in disguise. Uh, not the case at all. Uh, but you are related, uh, uh, not directly to the, the character in the book, but you have you have uh, ancestors who are, are connected with this character. Uh, tell I guess the easiest question to ask is, how did you learn about uh, French? What brought you into the orbit of the French story? Uh, right. Well, I was doing uh, family uh, genealogy and, uh, mm-hmm. and trying to sort out what my great-grandfather had done in the mid-19th uh, uh, century. And he was a member of uh, Parker French's expedition to the gold rush. And basically, he was swindled by Parker French amongst uh, about 250 other guys. So uh, it's, it intrigued me. I, I uh, linked up on Wikipedia to see what uh, else this guy had done because family lore, uh, my great grandfather was an honorary and uh, not a naive guy. And uh, how would he get swindled by some character that I'd never heard of before? Uh, so when I started checking him out, he uh, had an interesting story, and I got intrigued, and I started pulling all of the uh, historical threads and found out he had done much more than uh, I'd ever known about. I sort of fashioned myself uh, sort of a, a history buff, and now I'm not too sure anymore that I found out all this about him. What else have I missed in uh, in studies and in individual looks into the uh, antebellum and Civil War period. So it was uh, quite revealing to me as well as uh, a lot of my readers and obviously you now. So uh, so you're, what, what do you do uh, when not writing about uh, Parker French? You're not a professional historian. What, what, uh, what do you do? Well, I'm uh, retired. I was uh, in the uh, military, the Army, for uh, 28 years and then in mm-hmm. corporate life for another 12 or so, and 
retired fully in uh, 2011, so I had plenty of time on my hands and uh, started doing a lot of genealogy and then ran into this character, and then it took me five or six years of research and uh, in writing to uh, bring it to fruition. So, Well, one of the things that struck me about this, uh, about Parker French, is in, in the first chapter you describe his background, his uh, connection. He grows up in Kentucky, and as I'm reading your book, I'm thinking, oh, I know that guy, I know that guy. Uh, all these people you mentioned, all these, these last names of you know Hardin and Edwards, uh, uh, they're all in the orbit of Abraham Lincoln, who I spent a lot of time reading about. Uh, I mean, Lincoln, of course, is from Kentucky, but then some of these people migrate to Illinois, Indiana, but they're still in the, the Parker French orbit. So it's a small world. It's one-tenth the size of today's population, and uh, oh, a lot of people know each other. So, so uh, talk a little bit about his background, who, who he's related to. Okay, his, uh, his father's family was a French, the back, obviously the uh, last name of French. They were a farming family originally in Virginia and then uh, went to Kentucky in the uh, late 1880s, or 17, excuse me, 1780s, <laughs> 1790s. And then uh, his, his mother was the uh, sort of the progeny of a, a really important uh, political and uh, business and uh, uh, statesman-type family, lawyers, judges, that type of family, the Hardens. So uh, she was uh, uh, with that good background, and then when she died, in, uh, when Parker French was only around six or seven, he went to live with his... Uh, maternal uh, uh, uncle, uh, Parker Calhoun Harden, who uh, was his uh, namesake, and then uh, so grew up in uh, Columbia uh, area, Adair County in uh, southern Kentucky, and then uh, went from there. He uh, had all the benefits of uh, that kind of life and a good education and uh, could have uh, been a very credible and uh, you know good guy, but uh, turned the wrong way. Well, well, he did. He he had all these connections through marriage. You keep again reading, see these names. Oh, here's somebody named McGoffin. Where have I heard that? Oh, yeah, he's the governor of Kentucky. Uh, yeah. In at the time of the Civil War, who's this guy Edwards? You know, oh, that's governor of Illinois, and and. Uh, uh, it related to uh, Lincoln's through marriage and, and and so on. So he he seems to know everybody, and and he seems to be related to everybody and to know everybody. Uh, and he goes off to St. Louis, which is a, a big river town, likely to to become the next New York City. Uh, and and as you say, he seems to have everything in his favor. Everything is set uh, for him to be successful. He starts building a, a an ocean-going sailing ship which uh, nobody has done in St. Louis. Uh, it all, all looks good. At this point, um, the listeners, if, if you're the least bit interested in this story, and, and you should be, I recommend uh, that you hit pause on the podcast and go out and get a copy of this book and read it uh, because there's going to be a lot of spoilers from here on in. We're going to talk about uh, what this guy did 
and uh, who he became. So if you want to have the experience I did of just turning every page and going, no, you're kidding. Really, he did that next, next, next. Uh, then then now is the time to go ahead and read it and come back and listen to us later. Uh, so he's in St. Louis. Uh, Joey's doing well, and, and or seems to be. Uh, but all of a sudden, uh, well, the ship thing doesn't work out, does it? No, and I um, I had a hard time figuring out whether it was just a business enterprise that uh, went terribly wrong and uh, uh, possibly he was losing money on it or something else occurred, and then he abandoned the project and left uh, debtors and partners and everybody else in debt for, in, with $90,000 in, uh, in uh, liabilities. And uh, at the time, that, you know, that's about... Two point seven million dollars today. So, mm-hmm. uh, but I could not establish uh, whether he initially uh, thought he could uh, scam a bunch of people, or it was just a business enterprise gone wrong, and then he absconded. So, so he, so he goes off to New York. Uh, yeah, as you say, leaving investors in the lurch. Uh, his next enterprise does not leave us in any doubt as to whether this is just a little accident, uh, you know, the business misfortune, or some a, a very large-scale uh, criminal undertaking. We're going to take a short break and come back and talk about uh, the, begin- the, 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 the first wrong turn, or the first serious wrong turn, of the Kentucky Barracuda. That's the name of the book we're discussing tonight, Kentucky Barracuda, Parker Hardin French. The author, our guest, is Joe Goodbody. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, and this is Civil War Talk Radio. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Have we got a high-energy, all-access sports show for you? It's Outside the Huddle, starring Lemond Williams. Each week, join Lemond as he takes callers, discusses the week's top stories in the world of sports, and sits down with active and former players to discuss their transition from sports to business. Outside the Huddle is a great resource for players making career transitions both on and off the field. Tune in Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central, and 5 Pacific. For Outside the Huddle on the Voice America Sports Channel. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips offers a psychological perspective on coping with common and current life issues. This show addresses topics as varied as marital stress, insomnia, depression, raising teens, campus violence, and building self-resilience. Listen in as Dr. Phillips and her guest experts share the latest in books, findings, and information that will inform and enhance your life journey. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite hosts. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access all the time streaming live 
the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm talking today with Joe Goodbody, author of Kentucky Barracuda, Parker Hardin French. The subtitle calls him the notorious scoundrel and delightful rogue of antebellum in Civil War America. In the first segment, we learned about the uh, excellent upbringing and many uh, many connections by family to important people in Kentucky and elsewhere in the Midwest that uh, Parker French enjoyed. His first business scheme in St. Louis goes wrong. A lot of people lose money, but he moves off to New York. The next scheme, uh, the one that, that your ancestors were victims of, uh, Joe, the... Uh, is the the uh, what's the formal name of it here? Parker French's uh, express passenger train. Right. The, the, this is a wagon train. Let let me entice our listeners. Uh, we will travel uh, by comfortable and easy wagon coaches along the line of our military posts, ascending gradually over the gently swelling uplands of western Texas, through the delightful and cultivated country around El Paso, where U.S. troops are now stationed, down the banks of the Gila amid the ancient Aztec ruins and hieroglyphic evidence of a civilization that has long since passed away, thence over the magnificent plains of California to San Francisco, so at this point, I'm ready to sign up. I mean, this sounds like a National Geographic tour. You're going to have nice food, nice hotels, comfortable coaches, beautiful scenery. Uh, who would not want to go? And when you end up, you get to the California gold fields where there are bushels of gold lying on the ground to just pick up. Uh, I can see why your ancestors signed up for this. Absolutely. Uh, well, when my great-grandfather got to New York uh, at that time, uh, he had planned to get there, and along with a, a, a bunch of other guys from um, Lake County, Illinois, and to sign up and buy some tickets on this normal steamship route that went down to Panama and across the isthmus and, and up to California. But the uh, steamship tickets were completely sold out, so they were desperate and, and ready to go you know, with somebody. So it fit right in. So they see this advertising, and they they sign up. Um, and now they actually have to go by steamship first as well. They they go down uh, to Cuba and, and they're going to go through the, the into the Gulf of Mexico. But uh, they they uh, run into some trouble in Cuba. <clears throat> uh, not for the last time in the book do we come across uh, filibusters, uh, Americans who are headed into the Caribbean to for, for political purposes to try to take over. Uh, local governments did uh, was this actually a disguised filibuster attempt was was French really trying to get these people to go down to Cuba and take over the island that was uh, that was some of the the, uh, discussions at the time there were some newspaper reports that he actually his real intent was to 
uh, be part of a force that was going in to... Ex- Can you hear me? Yep, yep, still good. I'm sorry. Um, the uh, yep, He was... He was suspected of being part of the force that was going into Cuba at about the same time as the uh, Lopez expedition, who was a, uh, uh, trying to wrest uh, Cuba from Spain, along with a lot, lot of American support from both the South and Northern uh, industrialists. So uh, there was never any real uh, proof of it, and, uh, but there was a lot of speculation. So eventually, they they they're allowed to leave Cuba. The the ship ends up in Texas, and now they have to go. Um, uh, I guess they're they're crossing Texas. My knowledge of Texas geography is not particularly strong, but you you helpfully point out they they are about to make a a trip that will take a couple hours on a modern interstate. Uh, crossing the state, but it's going to take them uh, days, weeks to do this. Uh, so, so how does that trip go? Well, they start off in uh, Lavaca, uh, Texas, and uh, at the time, the, uh, the road up to San Antonio was basically a, a trail uh, over some tough country. And at the time, they had some of the, one of the historic rainfalls in the area. Hello? Nope, still here. Okay, sorry. Um, so uh, it was a tough route up to uh, uh, San Antonio, and uh, you know now from Lavaca, Texas to San Antonio, you could easily do it in a, you know half a day. At that at that time, it took them days and days and days, and uh, so it was a, a, a tough trip for, right from the get go. And then they when they left San Antonio on the way to El Paso. Uh, it took them 60 days from San Antonio to El Paso. Uh, at the, uh, let me go back a step. He had promised, sure. uh, along with all the other uh, you know, great uh, scenery and everything, he, he had originally promised to get everybody to California within 60 days along this route. Uh, well, it took him 60 days just to get from San Antonio to uh, El Paso, which uh, is, that was the normal time at the uh, period at the, in that period of uh, basically mm-hmm. 10 miles a day on average. So they're, they're moving slowly. Um, right. Th- their morale has been kept reasonably high to this point because uh, uh, French treats them well. Uh, he's, he's able to afford this because he's got a letter of credit from the, the, the uh, merchants uh, Howland and Aspinwall, and... He's a, everywhere they go, when they stop in New Orleans, when they land in Texas, when they get to San Antonio, everywhere they go, all he has to do is say, uh, put it on the bill of Howland and Aspinwall. They, they've authorized me to spend whatever, and they'll take care of the bills. So they're, they're, they're living all right. Yeah, correct. And uh, not only was the the uh, general comforts, uh, you know, good, but he was a very charismatic and charming and uh, a great gab, and so he could convince almost anybody that uh, he was doing what was in their best interest. Um, and that was part of his his theme. Uh, he could uh, uh, convince the uh, the most skeptical that he was uh, doing the right thing for them. Well, I mean, and that's where I 
one of the questions I have throughout this book is why has a screenplay not yet been made of this? <laughs> uh, you know, I'm, I'm picturing these guys in this wagon train and they're making their way uh, down this trail. And meanwhile, behind them, word has gotten back. The first merchants back in New Orleans who tried to cash those uh, those, those checks, those drafts on Howland and Aspenwall are finding out there's no letter of credit. This is a forgery. Uh, so they're galloping after. They're crossing Texas trying to catch up with him. And they catch him in the middle of nowhere and say, uh, you're, you're busted. Uh, a lesser man would have said, you're right. But he works his way out of it. How does he do that? Uh, he just a, uh, I think, well, first of all, I think he was uh, a brilliant, brilliant guy with a, uh, um, probably, a, you know, a combination psychopathic and megalomania, you know, type guy who uh, had no empathy for anybody. So he was able to uh, present himself uh, with his uh, smarts and his, with his uh, gift of gab and uh, basic charisma and uh, other, you know, basic really good leadership qualities uh, that uh, he was going to give them what they want. Um, so, uh, yeah, it, it's, but it but it built on the the uh, thinking of that whole crew uh, over time that they finally just uh, uh, finally lost uh, any confidence in the guy, and uh, uh, that's when the uh, ex- the expedition broke up at uh, basically what was the end of the empire at the time in El Paso. So he ends up. Fleeing to Mexico, um, we, if we told every story in the book, we'd be here for, for six, eight, ten hours. Um, he ends up in Mexico, he, he ends up in a gunfight, he gets shot, his arm is amputated. Uh, he's not quite one step of the law because he ends up in jail, but he talks his way out of that. He's, he's back... Uh, uh, back doing things somehow it, it, you describe at one point he so, somehow he gets involved with mobilizing uh, Indians or mercenaries to fight against other Indians on behalf of the Mexican government and uh, newspapers and back in the United States are reporting he's dead repeatedly uh, I, how did you figure out uh, from all the conflicting sources that you cite? Uh, you, you point out there are multiple stories of what happened in Mexico. Uh, how do you resolve that uh, when, when you're reading these things that give such very different accounts of what happened to them? Well, I tried to present uh, every story that I found and, and tried to give the, give the differing accounts because there was no way to establish what the ground truth was at, at the time. Uh, so you had him, uh, you know, being either a, a, a criminal or a paramilitary hero, right, of the uh, <laughs> Durango, uh, the governor of Durango. Uh, you either had him uh, uh, assaulting the, uh, the travelers on the, the silver road between uh, Durango and, and Mazatlan, or he was a... Uh, uh, a guy that was just uh, trying to travel himself. So there, there were kind of all kinds of different uh, different views of, of the character, and there was no way to establish what the truth was. So I tried to present it and uh, do the the uh, the uh, compare and contrast of of each mm-hmm. truth. So, uh, so 
They're all good. I mean, they're all interesting. He ends up, uh, so he leaves Mexico. He does get out of jail one way or another, uh, goes off to California. And here, um, you never know who California will elect, but the next thing you know, he's a district attorney and a state legislator. Uh, he, he his, his wife sues for divorce he goes back to new york and brings her out and they're back together uh nothing sticks to this guy no uh well not only was he was not only was he uh, uh elected to the uh, legislature from the uh, san luis obispo area uh he was uh elected almost unanimously if uh, if the story is is correct <laughs> And he ends up in um, in the legislature and becomes a member of the Ways and Means Committee. Uh, so he's right in the middle of uh, of establishing a future for himself, you know, through eventually through through a, through a little bit of graft and corruption. So uh, yeah, he's a he he fits in wherever he can uh, in uh, in trying to make his way. Now, many listeners will be familiar in in an outline way with William Walker, uh, the, the filibuster who goes to Nicaragua. They made a movie about him a couple of decades ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, in some books, French shows up as a minor character uh, in this adventure. You argue that he's actually, uh, he, he's a big part of Walker's expedition. Uh, and and uh, he, he plays a significant role. What, what does he do in, in Nicaragua? Well, first of all, when uh, he presents later in some um, anonymous articles he wrote for some new papers in Washington, D.C., that he was a central character in the original plans, the original uh, uh, funding of the enterprise, the the recruitment of uh, men, the gathering of material. Uh, and there's some indicator, there's some, you know, second and third hand indicators that that was, you know, absolutely true, that he was a key uh, member of that cabal that went uh, from California and down and, you know, basically formed a, a military dictatorship of Nicaragua for you know, about 18 months. Um, after he gets to Nicaragua, he's a key a key figure in a court martial of one of the Nicaraguans there that ends up in the in the uh, general being executed. He's a uh, uh, he becomes the uh, basically the secretary of finance for the uh, for the government, and then uh, it, it becomes a. Uh, uh, very influential in established by the uh, actual uh, newspaper articles that uh, are really uh, uh, talking him up as a key member of the uh, of the government at the time. Uh, and then, of course, he leaves there and uh, gets uh, appointed as the uh, ambassador to uh, Washington D.C. and uh, you know, ultimately there is rejected by the Pierce administration for. Basically, for all his past nefarious deeds, and uh, is used as a uh, as a reason for the uh, Pierce administration not to recognize the Walker regime down in Nicaragua. So, so he, he he's right in the heart of it. He's, now he's back in Washington. He's an ambassador. Uh, gets rejected. Uh, skips out. Goes back to Nicaragua. They don't want him either. He's fired there. Uh, yet he's. 
he's going to land on his feet again. We're going to take another short break, come back and find out what happens during the Civil War with this character. Uh, we're talking tonight with Joe Goodbody, author of Kentucky Barracuda, Parker Hardin French. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. This is Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Attention. If you're a parent, educator, social worker, or civic or religious leader, the most important program you'll hear this week is Exploited Crimes Against Humanity. Host Opal Singleton and her guest show how our children and others are being dangerously lured by predators through the dark web, social media apps, and games. Beyond that, the program looks at trends in human trafficking and more. You'll never think of the Internet the same way again. Listen Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking with Joe Goodbody, author of Kentucky Barracuda, Parker Hardin French. We follow the adventures of Mr. French as he leads prospectors astray, trying to get to uh, California. He uh, swindles the firms back east out of their money. And in the process, he goes to California himself, becomes politically connected there, participates in William Walker's Nicaragua filibuster in 1855-56. Eventually, uh, he ends up back uh, in the United States. We, We see him at the Democratic Convention in 1856. He's in Minnesota at one point. He's back in California. Uh, then, uh, then, then comes the war, and uh, I guess the first question to ask is, which side is he on? Uh, well, he's. Uh, I 
think he's pretty pretty much. Uh, I'm convinced that he was a uh, ideological chameleon that uh, didn't care which side he was on, as long as he thought it was going to win and it was going to make money for him, and he was going to get some kind of power and influence and uh, a future with whatever was going on. He initially sided with the uh, Confederacy and then fashioned a, a grand conspiracy to go into the North and uh, try to influence the, um, the abolitionists and the pro-Union forces uh, that were trying to help uh, some of the border states uh, you know, stay in the Union. Uh, so he conned them and, and uh, gathered money from, from them that he was supposed to send south to uh, you know, primarily eastern Tennessee. And so he schemed against a major industrialist up in Boston. But at the same time, he had another alter ego that was, uh, from all in, uh, reports that were in the newspapers at the time, uh, was a uh, Confederate agent and a uh, agent of the uh, Knights of the Golden Circle at the time. So uh, who are so the Knights he, of the Golden Circle? L- let me ask you, who are the Knights of the Golden Circle? Tell us about that Well, it was, a, it was a group that had a, a an aspirational theme that that the Golden Circle was going to be a uh, basically a slave empire that centered on Havana and took in all of the uh, southern states, uh, eastern uh, Mexico, a large part of uh, Central America, and uh, and that golden circle uh, was, uh, like I said, an aspirational empire that was uh, seen by the founders of this organization as either a part of the United States co-equal with the North with primarily senatorial balance in, in, uh, in, in view, or uh, it would uh, be a separate nation. Uh, uh, there's still a lot of uh, historical argument, uh, argument among, amongst historians on whether it was a true, powerful organization or just a, a f- pure aspirational thing. But at the time, the northern newspapers and the northern government certainly saw them as, as a threat. Uh, eventually, he was arrested up in uh, Brantford, Connecticut as a spy and as an agent of the uh, Knights of the Golden Circle. And... Uh, uh, jailed in Fort Warren along with all the other political prisoners that were uh, in residence at uh, in Fort Warren, uh, Boston Harbor. Um, so that's the short the short version of it. So so he's he's in the north. He's got these multiple identities. Uh, he, he's Carlisle Murray to some people. He's Charles Maxey to other people. Uh, one thing that struck me is while he's playing these multiple games uh, under one identity, he's. He's bilking abolitionists out of money that he claimed he's going to use for the Southern Unionists. And with the other identity, he's recruiting members to the Knights of the Golden Circle. But he's kind of a famous guy, and he's only got one arm after the, the Mexico gunfight where they had an arm amputated. It's not like he's an inconspicuous person. How does he not just get caught walking down the street in Boston? Well, I think uh, he, he finally did. Uh with uh, there were plenty of uh, inf- there's there was plenty of information flying around, but that was uh, mm-hmm. you know basically ten years earlier. So uh, I think he disappeared from the public uh, consciousness uh, from the time in 
in California or on the uh, the expedition to California, and then the uh, Nicaraguan uh, events. And uh, he got he actually did get caught up in Boston because somebody recognized him, uh, uh, Caleb yes. Cushing, who was the uh, former uh, Attorney General uh, while. Uh, he was the uh, proposed ambassador to Washington D.C. So uh, Caleb Cushing finally uh, recognized him, uh, and that wasn't you know. And finally, met it was after uh, you know half a year of, of uh, these events up in uh, up in Boston. So I, I, uh, yeah, it, it kind of surprised me that that he was able to uh, go from point A to point B. The other thing I, I realized also that there were a lot of men going around with. Uh, with uh, uh, injuries from the, uh, still from the Mexican-American War, and he may he uh, as Carlisle Murray, he presented himself as a veteran of the uh, uh, Mexican-American War, and that he had been uh, injured at the uh, uh, Battle of Buena Vista. So I think that's how he got got over it. But he was nevertheless finally caught. So, so he he uh, I, I was fascinated by the. Uh, the attempt to swindle Amos Lawrence, uh, for whom Lawrence, Kansas is named, one of the secret six that support John Brown, uh, that somebody else was actually trying to swindle Lawrence with some forged letters from Andrew Johnson, the senator from Tennessee. So uh, that gets exposed, and you know, Lawrence is appalled, oh, someone's trying to swindle me. And then uh, French goes and actually writes to the real Johnson, gets a real letter of introduction from Johnson, uh, and, and presents that to Lawrence. This guy just has no limit on his his uh, nerve, his ability to fool people. Yeah, uh, what's interesting at the time, uh, the letters from uh, uh, Andrew Johnson. There was, he had a letter mm-hmm. from uh, Brownlow from Tennessee, Par- Parson Brownlow, right. and a couple of other letters from uh, key figures in uh, in the union uh, unionists from both uh, Tennessee and the uh, federal government. Uh, but at the time, newspapers were saying those were uh, forgeries after he, when he got arrested. And I found the documents actually in the Library of Congress and National Archives, and no, they were cur- they were true uh, letters from uh, Andrew Johnson and the other ones. So, uh, so it was another one of these things where people thought he was uh, um, a forger and being a con man. Mm-hmm. Um, after I found out that they were actually uh, uh, you know, good letters or, or uh, mm-hmm. real real letters, I realized then, then that he was doggone too smart to get caught in any kind of uh, that kind of uh, forgery, which would have been easy easily found. Uh, right, right. So he ends up he does end up in in prison in uh, Boston Harbor uh, from November of eighteen sixty one. To uh, March of 1862, how does he get out? Uh, along with the, you know, he, that was right in the middle of all of the uh, habeas corpus uh, controversy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, a lot of the political prisoners in Fort Warren uh, uh, were there with no charges and jailed, and continued to be uh, imprisoned with uh, uh, under all the pressure of the habeas corpus uh, uh, controversies. Uh, then there was an investigation of each one of them, whether they were to re- t- remain in uh, in jail or uh, released upon uh, some kind of loyalty oath or promise not to uh, 
um, act against the Union. And basically, he was amongst that crew. He was one of the last ones that was released from uh, uh, Fort Warren in late February of uh, 1862. So at this point, surely the North has had enough of him. We've seen the last of him. He can't possibly get involved with the Union Army at this point. Or can he? Or you'd think that would be the case. (laughs) Um, So (laughs) he goes into Washington, D.C., and... uh, lives openly in Washington, D.C. as Parker French, and then uh, becomes engaged with the uh, Army of the Potomac in being a lawyer for some court-martial cases, and he becomes a, uh, a purveyor of supply, uh, you know, a higher-level subtler, uh, supporting uh, brigade and division and corps-level uh, uh, units. Uh, and so you would think that somebody would wonder what he was going on. And so I, I couldn't figure out whether people just didn't care or were keeping him under view or he was a uh, um, double agent or, you know, who knows what he was doing. Uh, all that came to uh, uh, fruition, though, he made a lot of money as a, uh, as a purveyor and a chief so, of his partners. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. The the Sutlers, you know, we've all heard of them. Uh, in 1863, Meade, the Army of the Potomac commander, says only one Sutler per regiment, only one purveyor per division or corps headquarters. Uh, but there he is in Geary's headquarters, 2nd uh, Division, 12th Corps. Uh, and, and as you say, he cheats his partner, uh, making more money. But he doesn't get caught because fortuitously 12th Corps gets sent west uh, after Chickamauga. So he's out there. He's, he's, he's living a charmed life. He gets away again, or, or uh, at least it looks that way at that point. Uh, the, the, the spoiler alert, again, listeners, if, if you're going to read the book and find out, uh, uh, the ending, uh, justice is not served. He, he just sort of lives out a quiet life after the war, doesn't he? He does. Uh, he gets caught up in a lot of uh, uh, court cases and uh, does not do well in a lot of the court cases and eventually goes into bankruptcy and uh, loses his shirt. Uh, but eventually you know, marries a uh, credible uh, young woman from uh, Vermont and then, or New Hampshire and uh, uh, ends his life in obscurity uh, and uh, finally dies of a probably complications from rheumatism and malaria and, you know, probably alcoholism. Well, as, as you point out in one of the last chapters uh, called Small Time Scams, Bite-Sized Chunks, uh, so he's done with the giant scams, uh, trying to make the huge killing, but uh, he, he can't get over the habit of uh, serial dishonesty and he's still making money uh, uh, the, the small way. Uh, we're almost at the end of our time. I don't want to leave listeners hanging. What happened to your ancestors who were on that uh, express oh, okay. train? Uh, uh, the, when the expedition uh, broke up in El Paso, uh, the group of 16, 17 odd uh, Lake County, Illinois guys kept on going as a group. They, they worked their way down through uh, Central America, uh, Mexico, through Durango, and on to Mazatlan. Caught a ship at Mazatlan and ended up, ended up in uh, San Francisco in uh, December time frame of uh, 18, uh, 1850. Uh, interestingly enough, my, my great-uncle, uh, or great-great-uncle, was uh, and, and died of some kind of fever 
and my yes. great grandfather was actually as sick as uh, as he was, and uh, somehow survived to get up into the gold fields, make a little bit of money, and was able to go back to Illinois and start his life, get married, and buy a buy some farmland in Lake County, Illinois. So, uh, so happy ending there. Uh, happy at least. <laughs> But but for French and for French, uh, as you point at the very end, his funeral is a very respectable one. All the most important people in town are there, and uh, it it's as if he had never done anything wrong. Uh, but your your characterization here's somebody who is an incredibly uh, persuasive talker, uh, as you suggest. Uh, you know, sociopathic, no empathy for his victims, promises people what they want to hear. They're happy to believe him. He takes advantage of them. Uh, when he gets caught and exposed, he just walks away and then does it again. Uh, it, it's a remarkable story, uh, but uh, but but one that, that is, is worth reading. It's an entertaining book, certainly. Uh, so, listeners, if you want to uh, learn more about the Kentucky Barracuda, Parker Hardin French, the notorious scoundrel and delightful rogue of antebellum and Civil War America. You'll want to get uh, the book by our guest tonight, Joe Goodbody. Joe, thanks so much for being on Civil War Talk Radio. Thank you very much. It was an honor. Uh, really appreciate it. And listeners, as always, thank you for listening to Civil War Talk Radio. Thank you for embarking on a part of American history this week. Civil War Talk Radio with Jerry Prokopovich can be heard live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit...